Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody! Yay, it welcome! We are having so much fun today <laughs> because it is D&D Live 2020 Roll with Advantage celebratory episode today. Yes. yes! The day after. The day after the, the announcement, anyway. Exactly. Look, uh, I'm excited we can talk about this. It's true. We've been doing so much work behind the scenes uh, trying to get D&D Live uh, in, a sh- in, in fighting shape. We've done it the last yes. few years, um, and it has always been this uh, in-person event in Southern California uh, where many of the community gets together and celebrates the hobby as well as getting excited about the new storyline. That is all true this time around, uh, except we will be gathering online through our web cameras and uh, watching tons of folks, people you might not even know play D&D, and many of them might have their first experience playing D&D during D&D Live, uh, including David Harbour from Stranger Things. Come on. Karen Gillen from Game, uh, not Game of Thrones, from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's the other G word. Um, uh, She was also (laughs) in uh, uh, the Doctor Who series. Who else we got? Brett Gelman. I've oh been following God. him forever. I feel like he's in everything, but many people might know to recognize him from uh, the last two seasons of Stranger Things. Uh, um, or Fleabag. Or Fleabag, right? He was in Fleabag. Wasn't did you see Fleabag? Yeah, I did see Fleabag. I'd forgotten that he was in that. He is like one of those actors that is seems like he's in everything. It's true. And he's extremely talented, and I love him. Yeah. Um, he's in his own movie called Lemon. I don't know if you've seen that. It's kind of like an indie movie, but it, it's no, but it's it pretty sounds great. right up my alley. It's really great. It's basically the character that he plays in everything, uh, and he's uh, he's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so many amazing people. Of course, Matthew Lillard, Deborah Ann Wall assembled a great group with uh, Amy Acker and Sam Richardson. Uh, I was going to say Sam Richardson. That is also very exciting from, from Veep. Veep. Yes. Uh, a very, very wonderful actor, uh, as well as uh, someone I'm excited about, uh, the uh, lead actress of Never Have I Ever, a ne- another Netflix show. Yes. I know. So how many degrees away from Mindy Cowling am I now? Like one. Oh, my God. Well, I guess two, because well, I haven't spoken to her yet, so maybe three, four. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to play that game uh, I mean, closer. after D&D Live. Once I'm we... definitely closer. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, um, so that's all really Martin awesome. Star Martin Star. Martin Star. I love him. He's amazing. And he's going to, I don't know, do you know if he has played D&D before? Because he's, I know he's going to rock. He D&D. played D&D in a show called Freaks and Geeks. So yes. He okay. Well, as like an actor, but did he, <laughs> I feel like he's, I feel like he's got some D&D love in him. It's true. Yeah. Uh, so that should be uh, really awesome. And everybody go to DungeonsAndDragons.com uh, to find out all the full schedule. Uh, we'll be adding more and more folks to it. We totally forgot about the WWE superstars. No, I didn't. Uh, I was going to bring that up. Uh, playing with Jeremy Crawford as the Dungeon Master. That's going to be super fun. He's going to have so much fun with that. Yeah. Uh, and all of it is to raise money for Red Nose Day, which we're super, super excited about. Uh, they're a wonderful uh, charity organization helping out people who uh, and kids especially uh, who have been affected by uh, the the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, 
Um, and it's been really, really wonderful working with them. And uh, we have these T-shirts uh, that you can buy right now. So again, go to DungeonsDragons.com and you'll find all, all the information about that. Uh, you can purchase those T-shirts right now. And there's also an adventure for sale right now on DMs Guild uh, called Return to the Glory. That's all about orcs. And you play as orcs trying to return to the glory. Uh, so that is all, uh, all the proceeds for that are also benefiting uh, Red Nose Day, which is super exciting. Who did the illustration of the the players? Max Dunbar. I, oh, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. A comic now book that you artist. say Max Dunbar, I feel like I should have known that. He's done tons of D&D stuff in the past. Uh, he's most recently doing the Infernal Tides comic book, uh, and he's done tons of uh, stuff uh, throughout the entertainment industry. But yeah, we, we asked him to uh, draw those portraits, and they came out really well, right? They're so good. Yes, I love it. And I love the trailer, too. Yes. Uh, Thomas Middleditch, uh, who we have not mentioned yet, but he's, his uh, intro to that thing is going to be in my head forever. 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 I will never ask anyone if they want to play D&D without sounding like him in that video. I know. That is that, my that should be, promise. That no. should be gift-tastic. People should be gifting <laughs> that right now. Uh, and and putting that in front of all their things like 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 Stranger Things when there was the uh, uh, the character of Will who's always asking can we play Dungeons and Dragons now I feel like yes uh, the more emphatic question that Thomas Biddleditch asks uh, will be even more useful to us in our uh, online discourse yes all uh, right well uh, I'm excited about this episode of Dragon Talk for all those reasons uh, obviously but I want you. I think I was clipping a little bit there. Um, I want you to get excited to talk to Noel Stevenson. Yes. Executive producer of She-Ra on Netflix. Such an awesome show. And there is the DNA of, of Dungeons and & Dragons and fantasy storytelling woven all throughout it. And I can't wait to talk to her about that. Her experience is playing the game. Um, and, uh, and all that fun stuff, right, Shelly? Oh, I'm very excited. Like, almost too excited that I might... Not actually talk at all. <laughs> I'm going to be like Cindy Brady in that episode on when they were on the game show and she just froze. And then I'll, I'll have to come up with amazing questions and keep you them know, going. You know, I'm actually going to pretend that my internet is b- bad. That's a good. And that I'm frozen and I'm just going to look like this. Good tactic. I like it. No one will know. Am I frozen or am I pretending to be frozen? You'll or am know. I Momo? No one, no one. <laughs> Momo. I'm definitely Momo. With these roots, I am Momo and out. Oh my goodness! Uh, I can't tell on the video. Your roots look great. Okay, thanks. Yeah, fantastic. I'm not going to get You've any got closer. Good highlights with the sun coming in. It looks great. I think you really, uh, you really nailed it today. I, you know, I had a little extra time in the morning, and I really, I really put it towards my grooming. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Lift me up where we belong. That's so nice of you. On eagles' uh, wings, I am excited for all of these things, and then of course we have uh, some fun callouts to some 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 things. Right? Did you want to do that? Yeah, we do. Yes, I do. Um, let me get my little list here. So we're gonna try something new here because we really want to support our uh, core hobby game shops that. Um, under the current events, are struggling a little bit. But you know what? Some of them are starting to to pop back up either online or offering some curbside delivery. So I, we are going to, to give some shout-outs to some of those stores 
that nice. are, are trying to, you know, get back into business and, and to serve their communities. So let's start with the Sentry Box in Calgary, Alberta. If you are in that area and you are itching for some new games, guess what? They are uh, selling online. They're off- also offering shipping and curbside pickup. So if you are interested in supporting uh, Sentry Box, you can go to sentryboxcards.com. Little fun fact for you. Nice. This is one of the world's largest gaming stores. Guess how many square foot square feet? Ooh, I get to guess. Um, this is like trying to guess how many jelly beans are in a jar. Uh, exactly. I'm going to say 35,000 square feet. Damn it. 13,000. Which is still enormous. That is enormous. enormous. They're also celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. Congratulations to Sentry Box. They have a really large D&D community. So if you are anywhere near Sentry Box, you should, when they reopen, get on in there. Because they often have uh, up to 80 D&D players per night. Whoa. That's a lot. So thank you, Sentry Box, for all your support. Um, how about those of you in Atlanta, Georgia? Atlanta. You can go to Win, Win and In Games, and they are uh, offering delivery and curbside pickup. Delivery. Wait, so, the, so the name of the store is Win and In. Win and In. Uh-oh. Win and ampersand In Games in Atlanta, Georgia, I love and that. their website is Win and spelled out ingames.com. Um and I'm going to guess there's a we have this these nice little fun facts about these stores. Yeah. I'm going to guess that KJ is maybe the owner of the store because this is a fun fact. When an in-game started in KJ's dorm room at University of Central Florida in oh, Orlando. UCF. So That's cool. KJ has been a little entrepreneur from uh, the college days there. So check out Win and In Games if you are in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And they're doing and, curbside pickup and uh, and, and delivery. Stuff well. Yeah, and, and delivery. online. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Now, Get Monroeville, to it, Pennsylvania. Yeah, <gasps> Pennsylvania. Mon- Monroeville, I love Pennsylvania. PA. Hey, yeah. Mister Nice Guy Games is also offering um, online orders, curbside pickup, shipping, um, and it says in store. I don't know what that means, but maybe you can just run in there, grab your game, and and run out. Get the heck out. Wait, that's called shopping. Um, that's not. That's not. <laughs> You have to pay it. Pay for your game. Maybe you pay online and then you just run in and pick it up. But you're definitely oh, paying uh, yeah. for those games. In-store pickup. Yeah, that, that makes sense. In-store pickup. MrNiceGuyGames.com is the website. Um, Monroeville, Pennsylvania, like we said. Here's a cool store fact for you. The event trophies at this store come in the form of cookie cakes. <gasps> wow. Yes. Being able to eat your trophy, that sounds amazing. Yes, that is wonderful. Hey, Greg, what if you're in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you are like, you know, God, I really need some new games. What would you do? Well, before we move on to Little Rock, I had one question about the Mr. Nice Guy games. Do you think if you went in and you you took the game without paying for it, then he would be like, hey, no more Mr. Nice Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to get that dad joke out. It was hurting me not saying it. It's that's so good. That's let's so go good. to let's go to Little Rock. What, what's the name Little of the store? Rock, in Little Rock Art, Game Goblins. <gasps> Game Goblins. I love the name in Little Rock, Arkansas. They are also offering online local delivery, curbside, and in-store sales. If you live in Little Rock, 
get that get some delivery going. Like yeah. how cool is that? Just right? a pile of games delivered to your door. You can go to gamegoblins.com for that. It does not have one cool store fact, so I might make one up. I think it was uh, actually founded by two goblins who fell I through was, a portal uh, and landed in Little Rock, Arkansas. They're like, I well. was actually, yes, going to, to say something similar. It, it actually is um, staffed by goblins. I, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm here for those Hard, goblins. Hardworking goblins. Okay. So Bernard's not only Ville. do you have, well, we're we doing more. How many we're we doing? Yeah, sorry, I have one more. Okay, one more. Let's do one more. Bernardsville, New Jersey. Bernardsville, the bearded dragon. They are Ooh. offering delivery and limited curbside. Please go to the bearded dragon games dot dot com, or just Ooh. look them up on on uh, Facebook, and you can probably get to that website there. Um. One cool store fact, inclusivity is a core value of theirs, and they also support other local small businesses by carrying their products in their store. Oh, oh that's a great cool. way to support your community. That's a great idea, Bearded Dragon. Yeah. So those of you in the, in the Bernardsville, New Jersey area, the Bearded Dragon is there for you. So That is so cool. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that they've become, I mean, that's basically Dungeons & Dragons, uh, you know, community building to a T is like, come to our store and we will help, uh, you know, get the commerce commerce out there because they're probably one of the only ones in the area that have a website where you can do that kind of uh, yeah. uh, purchasing uh, for small businesses. So kudos to them. That's great. That's awesome. Yep, I love that idea. Great. You will get so, one cookie trophy from the other store. Sign me up. I would probably become really competitive if I knew I could win a cookie. I I want a big cookie cake right now. Uh, yum yum yum. That's awesome. I love doing that. I love shouting out game stores. Uh, they've done such wonderful things for the D and D community over the years. And again, we yes. know many of them are small businesses that are not getting the foot traffic they once had and uh, trying to stay in business. And so, um, do what you yep. can. Try to order games uh, through this uh, program through these game stores. Um, for when Mystic Odysseys of Theros comes out, uh, you have a lot of other incentives to order through these stores. Um, that <clears throat> core book has uh, an alternate cover uh, that is fantastic. You can only get it through stores. And if you pre-order that through them, the first 20 fans to do that for each of the stores that are participating will get a code to get that content on D&D uh, Beyond when it is released on june 2nd digitally and then you'll be able to get your book uh physically on july 21st uh so you gotta cool. gotta pre-order those uh through your store now if you can you'll also get um some uh physical maps uh that are uh, in addition to what was printed in the book itself uh so very cool stuff and uh yeah. love all of you out there to do that support those get stores. It delivered some of these stores are doing local delivery you can have it right? delivered Get some yep. Thai food, get some barbecue, get the, some games, get all those things delivered yes. to your house. And you'll have an awesome game night ready exactly. for you. Exactly. Right. Uh, but you have to use chopsticks when you're picking up uh, barbecue so that you don't get barbecue sauce all over your character sheet. It's just a good practice to get just, into, just regardless saying. of what you're eating when you're playing. You need to. You need to. All right. Awesome. Well, you have a, a segment coming up, Shelly. You're going to learn how to DM uh, very, very soon, right? Uh, yes, I am. I'm getting um, so much wisdom 
when it comes to how to how to DM. And I'm excited for my guest today, who is Celeste Conowich, um, a TTRPG designer and also streamer. And um, you may know her from what she's one of the hosts of D and D Community. Community. Get it. Yeah, that's um, on the twitch.tv uh, slash yeah, D&D channels uh, once a month. They spill the tea, and they drink the tea as well. Yeah. Actually, I should talk to her about tea, because I'm trying to become more of a tea drinker. Oh, so now you can be like, how to TM. <laughs> how segment. to tee up a really good uh, campaign. But uh, Celeste is going to talk to me about creating really interesting NPCs. Because Ooh, did okay. you She's know that. that that you can um, you can do more with your NPCs than just be like, "Hello, might I get you a beverage?" They, I did not they know can, that. You can, you can, and uh, I'm gonna learn all. Nice, very cool. Yeah, and I'm excited. Say hi to Celeste for me. We uh, we we talked well, to her uh, on uh, Dragon Talk a long time ago for Venture Maidens uh, for her podcast. So. Yes. I uh, can't yes. wait to uh, have you reconnect with her. And I'm, I'm sad I'm not going to be on that segment, although I will be broadcasting. I mean, you'll from be her. like, you'll be in the, you'll be there definitely in spirit. That's right. Or at least, you know, uh, in, the, in the internet ether watching it all happen. Yes. Uh, so awesome. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's go uh, check in with her. Okay. And we are now here with a special, special guest for How to Be a DM. This is Celeste Conowich. Hello. Hello, hello. Oh, it's so good to be here. Uh, thank you so much it for inviting is, me. Well, I, I, I couldn't be doing uh, learning about dungeon mastering without, without talking to you. You have a wonderful reputation. Uh, but a lot of people will know you as a uh, TRPG designer and streamer and also one of the co-hosts for the D&D Community, yes, which yeah. airs, uh, it's on Fridays, right? Yeah, right every second Dragon Friday uh, of the month. You know, it's a lovely show where we just basically like talk about how wonderful this community is and shout out cool people and just a very fun, positive little little tea party show. It's adorable. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and it's- I was telling, I was telling Greg earlier. I'm like, I'm trying to like become more of a tea drinker, so mm-hmm. I might have to pick your brain about tea. Absolutely. Well, uh, I am learning a lot from that show, um, and definitely also trying to cultivate my knowledge of uh, of teas. So it's extensive. I mean, there it's, is there is it's so not much. just like. A, no, a little tiny tea bag. It's, it's, it's have you had the tea drops? Green, you know, there's a bunch right. of other. There's stuff. there's tons of stuff in between there. Tea, yeah. tea, tea drops. Have you had tea drops? Ooh, no. I think that I might not even be calling them that. I, I will send you a link uh, after because my neighbor's a big tea drinker, and she got mm-hmm. me into these little tea drops that you just drop in the hot oh, water. But that like make into like cool flowers and maybe. stuff like that. Oh yeah. gosh, it was it was like a, a vanilla lavender flavor and like i didn't even know that tea could do this so <laughs> it's magic anyway <laughs> um in addition to your knowledge about tea uh mm-hmm. i hear that you're also very skilled in creating interesting npcs that would you is, agree with that statement uh, 
that is definitely something I have been told. Um, so uh, for the actual play podcast, I run Venture Maidens. Um, we we usually get a lot of feedback that what people really enjoy about our show and our story is the the quality of the NPCs and how important they are in the story and then that they feel real and important and are a big part of our show. Um, so I absolutely love making interesting NPCs. I think even, you know, following up with like Noelle, look at like how She-Ra has evolved. You know, when you have interesting characters, it mm -hmm. just really makes your story real and potent and magical. So definitely one of my favorite things to talk about uh, for a DM. Really? This is, so I guess I never, maybe I haven't really encountered as a player that many NPCs that that did something other than, hello, our town is in trouble yeah, and we need quest. an adventure. Yes. <laughs> Can you do this? And then we don't see them again until right. we come back and collect our money. Yeah. So it wasn't until I started digging into this how to, to be a DM um, show that... I think it might have been Wes Schneider who was talking about DMs and he was like, oh my, you can, or uh, was talking about NPCs and he was like, you can use them for a host of other things. Like yeah. they can propel the story. Like you can just drop them in anytime and mm -hmm. your characters are doing something you don't want them to do. Have an NPC come in and be like, did you guys hear like the noise upstairs? <laughs> yes. Well, wow. Maybe you might want to go up the staircase and check it out. Absolutely, like, absolutely. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a thousand different ways you can use NPCs and really help, like, create them to make your world more interesting and more believable. Um, I think you know having having fantastic conversations with NPCs is almost more telling for your world than like scenery or setting um, because that's when you know people are used to having conversations with other people and that's like the most natural thing I think for humans to do. So having these good conversations just really drives home a world that makes sense and your players want to be a part of. So I guess as a new dungeon master, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not even a dungeon master yet, so. But you're I'm learning. Not even new, but I'm learning. You will uh, be soon. But I, maybe I get I do get very inspired from these conversations. But I know, like, oh, you know, a lot of people who are are new and are, uh, you know, get, just getting their feet wet with dungeon mastering might have the same question. I would feel like, already, I got enough to do. With, <laughs> and I mean, I'm trying to get the story out there. I'm yeah. gonna have some monsters coming in here. I can't possibly have to manage NPCs as well. But for a new dungeon master, I feel like they can actually serve a great purpose. They can actually help you. In what ways could I use them? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there are, of course, the classic ways you can use NPCs as quest givers to convey mm -hmm. information. Um, but I also really like using NPCs as resources for the characters. So something I really recommend for new dungeon masters, um, you know, if you're going to be playing a campaign for a while, is setting up some kind of like home base in your game. So maybe this is like, a castle that, you know, like there there are mercenary people there who can hand out quests to your characters. So the players may revisit this castle at this point or like a friendly tavern that they know, you know, it's sort of a cheers situation where everybody knows their name. They know like five NPCs who go to this tavern. Um, so over the course of your campaign, you can you can come back and like revisit these places. You can have a safe place to rest or to get food, um, you know, or to buy equipment. 
Um, so I, I really love using NPCs in that way and having like a grounding quality to them or location. Um, so I think that's something that's really good to do, especially when you're starting out. Um, just having NPCs that you know will show up again and again, because that helps, you know, it, it helps train you to run NPCs effectively. If you're revisiting the same character and those characters are showing up again and again, um, it helps you fall into the voice. It, you know, it helps you get used to running those conversations. Uh, and it, it really is a way to build your confidence and your player's confidence that there's some safe place or a safe person in the world. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That is nice when you put it that way. Yeah. But, so when you are running your games or even starting a campaign, do you have like a roster of NPCs you know you're going to pull out or do you kind of create them on the fly? Yeah. So usually when I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting down, I'm going to make a big campaign. I, I assign like names to people and places. I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a capital city. This person rules the capital. Here's their name. Go. Uh, and then I usually stop there until my players actually interact with these people. Um, most of the time I find you discover a lot about the NPCs as you actually run them and as they interact with your characters, because your characters may never go to this capital city. So, you know, don't confuse yourself by investing time and effort and learning true. the story of every single NPC. Start small. So if you know they're going to start out in this tavern, start with your innkeeper. Who are they? Like, how do they communicate? And, you know, roll on as you need to. Um, I think the only real exception I have to that rule is um, if you have a villain that you're going to use for your campaign um, and that that villain is really going to drive the story and everything, I would invest a lot of time in them um, right from the get go because that will kind of like guide your narrative journey in general. Um, but otherwise, start small, start easy. It is intimidating to remember 15 different personalities in your head. Yes. So do them one at a time. <laughs> so what, what does make them interesting? Yeah, so I, I, I get this question a lot, and I'm always really, really grateful that I studied theater in college because I think okay. theater gave me a lot of tips and tricks about how to play interesting characters and how, how to make compelling and interesting people. Um, and a lot of that always has to do, I remember so many professors saying this over and over again, you know, know your motivation, know your motivation. Right. So even if it doesn't necessarily come up in the conversation, know what goals your NPCs are striving for. Um, know what, what they do when your characters go off screen, like keep these in mind because what they ultimately want really helps inform how they interact with your players or what they do next. So you can start very simple again, like let's, let's go to this innkeeper. Maybe they're only running the inn because they want to buy a summer house. That's their whole thing. They, they want to buy a summer home. Oh, interesting. You know, like if you keep that in mind, when they interact with the players, that can give you a lot about what they want. So maybe they aren't actually really interested in running an inn. One, that's a personality trait you could do. Two, maybe they just want money because um, they want to get out of here as quickly as possible. So maybe they overcharge for everything. Or, you know, like maybe they, they ask the characters if they've seen any beautiful locations on their way. Um, just keeping this this thing, this abstract, like, goal in the back of your mind automatically helps you know how to respond to a lot of questions um, and, and get a conversation going. That is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I also studied theater in college. <laughs> I didn't, I, I did not take that away from 
anything. Um, I didn't guess I wasn't paying as much attention. <laughs> but maybe I just had professors who really, really liked to say, "Know your motivation." Yes, I remember, like, you know, hearing that. <laughs> but I guess applying it to, like, I mean, your character to any character, it's you're you're right. I'm thinking of of mo- different motivations for mm-hmm. the the innkeeper and how that would affect how they interact with the players. And, you know, when you're, yeah, when you do feel like you have those motivations too firmly in hand, I think the next step is, is making sure that those motivations change and shift based on the interactions with your characters. So say, for example, I mean, your players burn down the inn for this innkeeper. The innkeeper's goal probably is going to shift from getting a summer home to maybe taking vengeance out on the characters who did this or getting another job. Um, and then when you can maintain these these arcs or these motivations, especially when they change and adapt off screen, it really makes the NPCs feel real and feel like real people in your world. It does. It really does. Yeah. So other, how, how have you used NPCs in your campaigns in like, other creative ways like have they propelled the story have they changed the story for you because you discovered things about the npc that's now kind of interesting and a new hook yeah absolutely um something i really enjoy um especially when you get into higher levels of D, you know and you're like your group is the big deal heroes in the world right they're running around they're saving the world they're doing all kinds of stuff and at that point they can't be everywhere at once so if they can enlist NPCs to do some of the work for them or to, you know, had to have other agency in the world, um, that's a really great motivation to make friends with some NPCs and to build some relationships. So, you know, if you, if you do have like a, a rogue NPC that you interact with frequently, you know, making it open that your players could send them to go spy on something for you or to gather information for you. Or, you know, you have access to a big deal wizard. Maybe he can hunt down magic items for your players off screen. Um, just making these N- NPCs uh, resources, I think, is a, is a really great thing to do. Um, that's kind of outside just the just give the yeah. quest or like, you know. <laughs> Yeah. So if you were going to have, if you were going to do that, if you were going to give them a rogue to go off and spy, would you actually roll for the rogue to see if they got the information or would you just make it up in your head? I think probably based on, I'd take it case by case because, you know, if it is like a high level, big deal NPC rogue, um, is it more interesting that they get the information? Is it more interesting that the rogue is like captured by the enemy and that becomes a big thing? Or um, I think playing the level of interest your players have um, in this NPC and you know the the stakes they have in their health and safety can inform what happens next. Um, I mean, it's always a really good idea to you know when when your party decides to do something, so they decide to send this NPC into a dangerous situation, um, making it feel like consequences are real, and that NPCs they care about are going into danger, is yeah. always a great strategy. Um, so yeah, I'd say play it case by case because if they are really invested in this character, I think it might be more interesting for your story if something goes wrong or something happens yeah. to them. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I am thinking about some NPCs that have traveled around with us that we took a, a liking to and we ended up, we, we killed them. Yeah. Right. I mean, we yeah. like just put them in dangerous situations where they shouldn't and kind of 
and now I'm God, that just came back to me. I feel really yeah. good about that. I mean, those those moments too, you know, because when you do invest in your NPCs and your characters get to know them over time and you build a relationship, those relationships become such pivotal story moments. Like, you know, if if you're building, say, a a best friend relationship with an NPC and say, you know, a fight is going very, very badly for your characters and the NPC steps up and like will sacrifice themselves so you all can get away or, you know, they'll, they'll come in at a pivotal moment. And while it is sort of a day ex machina, it's also like there, there are consequences um, to losing these NPCs and all that emotion and time you invested in that relationship um, becomes so much more meaningful when it's, when it's, threatened or, you know, can potentially end. I, for a while, I've always had this, this misconception that when an NPC joined our party, that it was kind of cheating. Mm. That was like, well, why, why are you giving us, this on yeah, our, like a, why are you being like giving us help? Yeah. <laughs> why are we, you don't think we can do this on our own? Like mm-hmm. we just, I didn't feel like, like we really accomplished the goal. Like I didn't feel as proud because when well, we had this guy that was with us that was helping us but they're not i mean they're i have i guess i still kind of have that impression like i want to do it on my own i don't mm-hmm. want yeah NPC and, to travel along with us and i mean that's that's also a relationship that you you can define you know not all relationships have to be positive like if there is yeah. this paladin character who's following you all around and making sure you do good things I mean, that's going to be a tense relationship with some characters in the party and how that plays out is is interesting drama for both your players and, you know, anyone who might be listening or watching your game. Yeah, I mean, that's just gives you another story angle for Mm -hmm. your character to to play off. Absolutely. Especially if it's your character that doesn't like this person, but everyone else does. <laughs> yeah, know. and I mean, it's always really interesting, too, you know, when you present the players with a new NPC, sometimes your players won't care. They won't care about this NPC. They don't have anything in common with them, and that's okay. This NPC can just stay with them for this adventure and then go away, but yeah. inevitably, there will be those NPCs that something about them, you know, sparks a player's imagination or a character's imagination. You know, they they find something in this NPC that's interesting um, and want to build a relationship. And as a DM, I encourage you to invest more time in those relationships. If you introduce an NPC and your players don't seem excited about them, don't have them come back. <laughs> you know, right. uh, read the room um, and develop the relationships that are really interesting to your players. So can you tell me about some of the NPCs that really resonated with your players? Yeah. Um, so in, in Venture Maidens, I, I did do the thing where we kind of have like a home base that, you know, our players go back to and visit. You know, there's this mercenary organization called the Sisters of Sorrow. Um, so all the agents and like the leaders who work in that organization and are sort of like the bosses for my players, they're all at this location. So whenever they go back there, they can spend some time with these people. I mean, we have like romantic relationships that have developed between some of these NPCs, um, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and um, one of the characters, I I have to shout it out because people in chat are talking about it. Uh, We have the master of the house uh, for this keep is named Vladimir. And he's just this very sort of creepy Ravenloft-esque butler who who appears uh, and sort of floats and disappears into the shadows. Um, 
And over time, you know, he he's a very stalwart sort of silent presence um, in the keep. But because the players have just want to know so much about him, he keeps popping up in the adventures. And like I love doing for Halloween episodes, you know, he he invited them to like go find an arcane tome from his ancestral home. And we got to hear a little bit more about how he might be from Barovia and all these things that are like unwinding over the course of the adventure. Um, Just because my players just needed to know so much that it grew from just like an interesting kind of, oh, he's a creepy butler, like, you know, which is sort of an archetype you find in things. Um, but he, his personality developed because they were so interested in it. Um, so that's, that's one of those examples when it's like when players get attached, um, that's a great jumping point to investigate that relationship more and to, to put more spark and energy into that. Did you know they were going to get that attached to him when you were No, I ever... That was surprised you too? Honestly, I, I mean, we've been playing this game for four years now. And what is still just mind-blowing to me is how the relationships with the NPCs have changed over time. Like, we had uh, one of the bosses at the Keep was sort of this this snooty, like, cleric character who my players just hated. They just hated at the beginning of the campaign. And over time, they've come to love her so much and, like, include her in things. And, like, it's it's just... So, so awesome to see how these relationships evolve. Um, I mean, when you when you really invest that much in your NPCs, it does become like real life, uh, you know, where people can not like each other. And then all of a yeah. sudden they're frenemies and then they're best friends or, you know, because our relationships in life always change and shift. And so when that happens in D&D, they just feel so real and so special. Yeah, it, and it is true because you don't know how people, how the players will respond. Yeah. You have and the dynamics <laughs> that are going to form. It is, yeah. Yeah. It, it is an interesting angle it's like, for the, to develop the story. Yeah. It's like in real life how, you know, friendships and relationships evolve and change organically. Yeah. And when you can recreate that in your D&D games, it becomes so exciting. Have you ever surprised your players with it, like the motivation of an NPC? Like, have, has an NPC ever just betrayed the party, and you knew you knew that, that they were going to do that? <laughs> well, I can't. You know, the campaign isn't over yet, but <laughs> um, we don't know. We won't talk about what's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I one of my favorite things to do uh, with my NPCs is never to give away the whole story. Um, I love creating those situations, like in real life, where you know it's it's never clear who exactly you should trust or like who is right and who is wrong, because in life people really aren't ever purely right or purely wrong. Uh, they all have different motivations and want different things um, out of the same situation. So when you do have a team of powerful characters, you know, looking to advance their agenda acknowledging that each of those agendas is different really, you know, forces your characters to be like, okay, maybe I'll go with this NPC because I feel like I trust them because we have this similar characteristic or this NPC has done this in the past. So maybe I won't trust them because they might do it again. Um, So I love to throw wrenches in whenever somebody gets too comfortable, like in a relationship and they think they know everything about this person, you know, unveiling some new detail or some new layer um, or putting them in a situation that really challenges uh, what they think about that NPC uh, can be just so fascinating. 
And you don't think this is too much, like on top of everything else a dungeon master has to do? <laughs> you know, what's really interesting is because when you get into your campaign and you have your setting like in place and you know your world really well, the things that move and change really are just your players and the NPCs. So when when you have yeah. your world built and it's all confirmed and kind of set in your mind, this really om almost becomes the only thing you have to worry about because these quests that the NPCs give you or these interactions they have inform so much of the story and move things along um, that I think people fall into it a little bit easier than, than you might expect over time, especially if you do have the same people uh, reoccurring in your stories and, and really playing a part in your adventure. So this is, might be a dumb question, but I'm, as I'm thinking about it, when you are creating these NPCs, are you statting them up? Sometimes I do. Um, okay. Like if, if I know they're going to be accompanying a character on an adventure, I will. Um, most of the time, though, if, if I don't need to, I don't. Okay. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll sort of guide by like, oh, like, okay, this person probably is like the mage stat block. So, you know, if we do get into like a deception bluff arcana skill check, I'll just go ahead and go to the stat block and be like, this feels right um, yeah. to make the rolls. But, you know, again, like you don't have to worry about the rules and the mechanics until you have to worry about the rules and the mechanics uh, yeah. with NPCs. So, you know, have something in mind maybe, um, but I think it's, it's safe to play that one by ear. So would would they be like the same level as the party or different levels? Again, or it does it it's, it's up to you. It's totally it, it could be a super powerful yeah, yeah, so, mage or it could be like a, a tiny little Yeah. And what's what's just funny starting out too is like for, for my home base right now, you know, these characters who give them the quests and are their bosses, you know, they, they started at a much higher level than the adventuring party. But because of the nature of leveling, you know, characters at low levels level very quickly as opposed to higher level characters. What's fun is over the course of your campaign, when your PCs start to become the same power level as your NPCs, you know, they catch up to them in terms of leveling. Um, and that really also is, is a big thing that changes in their relationship because, you know, how you, how you treat a wizard who's so much more powerful than you versus how you treat a wizard who's the same level as you uh, yes. is another dynamic that shifts over the course of the game. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I can see why um, your, your name was brought up as, <laughs> to talk about NPCs. I love building interesting NPCs. So do you, so when you design your uh, adventures, are you you're building in these NPCs in the adventures? Definitely. I, I mean, it's when you do design, um, you know, writing in NPCs that are going to be helpful or interesting is always a challenge because you never know the party they're going to go to. So what I really find when you write an adventure is giving a good indication of what their motivation is already. Um, so that way, you know, you're doing the DM a favor when you hand off like this module you're writing or, um, and then giving them characteristics that are easy to act. So, you know, saying like, oh, this person, you know, they, they take lots of long pauses between their words or, you know, they're very thoughtful or, you know, they, they speak so fast, you know, building in things like that, that are really easy and accessible for, for anyone to look at and go, boom, I know how to play this character. 
Yeah. It's just it, In- a nice, instant personality. Yeah, instant personality. Uh, you know, because if they like raise at the end of their sentences every single time, like that gives you an idea of like what, what kind of personality you're dealing with. And I think it makes people just reading it on paper imagine and become automatically more more comfortable uh, playing these NPCs. So are you mostly, do you mostly DM when you play or are you a player? Yeah, uh, I've gotten to play a lot more recently, um, but I've been playing D&D for about, yeah, 10, 11, 12 years or so. And I would say 90% of the time I've been the dungeon master. So uh, I am very grateful that uh, I, I get to play a little bit more than I used to these days. Yeah. What what kind of characters do you create? Oh, do my they gosh. have these very rich Lots backstories? Of, I, I am that backstory player i'm the one who will hand you the big <laughs> two-page backstory i love it uh, and my characters i always you know building in like weird hang-ups and little issues with them um that you know so they're not automatically optimized is i think something that that i really i really like doing so setting up challenges i guess for myself uh to role play along the way is something i really enjoy doing i love it you know what i just thought of uh, something else that an NPC could do, and I don't know if, if this was something that came up in an earlier conversation yeah. or what, but um, a lot of things, a lot of, I'm, I'm get concerned a lot with new players. Mm-hmm. Like if I, when I do my, try my hand at dungeon mastering, I feel like I want some mm-hmm. new players because I don't, Oh, yeah. I think they would judge me less because <laughs> they don't. They don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Honestly, I but, I really like to have a mix um, of, yeah. of players at my table. You know, one or two people who are experienced and who can help you like manage yes. you know, rules questions uh, and then judgment. Yeah, and then new players are are fantastic to have yes. at your table. But I would worry that maybe they wouldn't like some new players won't initially be comfortable with role playing or you know asking questions because when you tell people like you can do literally anything yeah, and then they go then they, they're never like i don't know what to do yeah. like i can't think of it the but i guess you, you could use yeah. yeah there's too much too much choice that the npc could kind of gravitate towards that character and know. bring them out of their shell if they're being asked questions or being led a certain way or being told information. Absolutely. Then, I, I think it's also oh. really fun uh, for new players to ha- to have a really silly NPC or, you know, yeah. uh, someone with a really strong but approachable personality. So like a sassy kobold or, you know, just something, something that lets them know immediately that they don't have to take themselves too seriously. And, you know, this is a game about fun and you can, yeah. you're inviting them to laugh uh, and be creative when when they see you laughing and being creative uh, with your NPCs. Yeah, you can really set the tone. Oh, yeah. And, and immediately with with who uh, the players encounter. Yeah, because I think, you know, when you when you open up those rule books and you get a character sheet and you have those people who are like, okay, now you add three and four and five and, and it can be really yeah. scary. <laughs> but, you know, silly voices automatically let them know, oh, man, this is this is jokes. This is telling jokes. This is having fun. Um, so yeah. it's a great signal for new players to just, you know, relax and, and enjoy themselves. It is, yeah. And if it, if you have those players that are not, they don't know what to do. Yeah. They don't know, like, it's the, it's your turn. <laughs> Go on, new player. And like, I don't, I don't I, know uh, if I'm supposed uh, to, like, pull out my sword or ask a question. Then I suppose this a friendly NPC could 
gravitate and absolutely help them out, them. answer questions help in them. game. Um, you know, give give them a sense of direction if they ever get lost. You know, sending sending the old knight looking to reclaim his glory along with you on the first game might be a great way yes. to learn how to adventure, or better yet, how not to adventure. Um, right. if, if it is yes. a, a silly NPC with your party. Do you do voices for all your NPCs? I do some voices. Um, I'm not great at accents, unfortunately. Uh, I have a couple in there, but um, I do always try to note a vocal quality for each of mine. So like I was saying before, you know, if they like if they stutter or if they take a really long time to speak or if they use a, a certain word a lot. Um, so I, I try to put something like that. Uh, in with each of my NPCs. Um, in fact, I, I keep a spreadsheet of my I was going to ask, how voices. do you track them? Yeah, okay. so I have I have a spreadsheet that lists all the campaign, you know, NPCs that are likely to come up again. And I have little, like, notes uh, about how to do their voices um, so I don't get them mixed up, especially when oh, the dreaded situation comes up when two NPCs are talking to each other. Um, I, right. I feel like, you know, just having a visual cue uh, to keep in mind when they are discussing uh, so you can tell the difference is is super duper helpful. That is very cool. Yeah. Um, you're very inspiring. Oh. And actually, um, people in the chat are saying the same oh, thing. Thank you all. Yes, this is this has been enlightening. And I know that as a dungeon master, you know, there's a lot of tips and tricks that you yeah. could teach oh, yes. um, a new dungeon master or an uh, aspiring dungeon master like myself. So um, perhaps you would be willing to come back and share more of, of that knowledge. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I do just want to say the big, uh, the big tip, the biggest tip I have uh, for anyone, yes. just try it, um, dive in and do it. You'll get better every time you DM, uh, you fall into it. Um, but the best place is to start and it's, it's never as scary as you think it's going to be. Really? It really, because once you get going, those first 10 minutes are terrifying right before you start the game. And then you're like, okay, it's the time to start. And I swear time will fly by for you. It will just fly by. It'll be over so fast and you'll be so excited to play again. We'll see. I, we'll I, see. I, I betcha. <laughs> You'll have to try. <laughs> I will have to try. I will have to try. And I'm actually really excited about NPCs yes. and, and and using them. Uh, at first, I, I thought I would run a game completely devoid of them because I don't want to have to worry about tracking anyone else. But, um, you know, I think that would be the, the wrong call. They're, they're definitely they're, they're here to help. valuable. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so before we started um, recording, you were saying that you've been very busy, and yes. uh, which is great for all of us. Wow. So um, where can people uh, follow you, find you, learn about all these great projects that you're working on? Maybe ask your advice about NPCs. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the best place to keep up with me is to follow me on Twitter at C Conowich. Um, there, you know, I, I'm always posting what streams I'm doing, our our schedule, uh, what I'm working on. Um, if you want to see the full catalog of things I've published, um, everything I'm working on, you can always check out my website, CelesteConowich.com. Um, otherwise, yeah, you know, keep an eye out for me on the DMs Guild, always publishing stuff up there. Um, and I would love to chat about D&D. It's my favorite thing. So, <laughs> so just throw here. them out there. 
at C. Conduit. Oh, that's awesome. You are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Definitely would love to to have you come back. Absolutely. And we'll oh. chat more. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute delight. Oh, thank you. It's been a delight for me, too. I might go do a little uh, quick LARP with my son right now. And, <gasps> Yay! And, uh, practice some, some NPCs on him. Absolutely. I guess that's what I do when I play with his stuffed animals and whatnot. You know, it's it's amazing how much imagination practice we all have at making up imaginary friends. Yeah. Um, and NPCs are just the same. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I love it. That uh, segment sounds like you know so much more about dungeon mastering and creating NPCs. Uh, kind of sounds like we all do now, right? Right. I might, I might just go create some NPCs just for fun. Just to have them waiting in the wings for one day if I need to call upon them. That's right. And you'll be like, may the real Shelly Mazinoble please stand up. I think it could be fun. I think it would be real fun. Do it. Yeah. Um, I think you need to make sure you have a voice associated with each one of them, <laughs> but they all sound like uh, Kermit or Grover. Or well, yesterday or the other day, Bart was reading Quinn a Star Wars book, and C three PO had some dialogue, and I heard Quinn from the other room go, "Dad, no, Mom, say this line as C three PO." Oh dear! Oh dear! So I was actually <laughs> cast in a book. Thank you. That's awesome. And I love that Quinn had a request for you to give a line reading. That's that's pretty awesome. Every time we see C-3PO, he turns around, he looks for me. He's like, Mom, Mom, C-3PO, Mom, C-3PO. Fuck, it's, it's your favorite C-3PO. <laughs> it's You're like, you, I don't Mom. even really, do you like C-3PO as a character? I can't stand no. him as a character. I just don't, he's so just like, ugh. Like, I would just, I don't think we would get along. He's too uptight. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's kind of his his shtick is that he's annoyingly uptight. Uh, yes, you know this is a great segue into how to coach and ask voice actors to portray roles on animated TV shows. What a great segue! If only there was someone we were going to talk to who might know something about that. Who has a lot of experience with that. Mm, I think mm. we should call up Noel Stevenson right now. What a great idea. Let's do it. Everyone, let's welcome Noel Stevenson to Dragon Talk. Yay, Noel. Thank you for having Woo. me. I'm excited to be here. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> After some technical difficulties in which technology kicked my ass repeatedly, I am finally here and I can both see and hear you. And it's exciting. <laughs> it is it's exciting. Very, very exciting. Oops. I love all the things that you've been doing with, uh, with She-Ra, getting season five. How does it feel to have all of that out into the world? I, it has been just so incredible. Like it, It's just been this huge honestly like relief when you make a cartoon you're working on it for so long before anyone even know before it's even announced before it even has like a name that people know um and you're just hoping the whole time because you're like deep in the weeds and you're like i really hope that people like this i really hope it hits the way we want it to hit you never know so it's very scary honestly um and so one for me anyway once it's like out in the world and people are like oh i saw that thing you did that that makes sense to me i like it like it's 
for me, it's just so affirming because I'm like, oh my God, thank God. Now this thing that's been like living in my head for so long is now living in lots of other people's heads. So hearing that people are watching it and enjoying it and having a good time is just like, for me, I've been sleeping like a baby every night, just like so happy that it's finally just all out there. Yeah. (sighs) And it was so well received from the very second it dropped. Like, I mean, people just really glommed onto it. I remember watching that first episode and just smiling the whole way through it. Like, Cause I, I watched She-Ra when I was a kid and it was just like, this is amazing. Like this, it's just got the <laughs> right balance. Like there's great humor, but there's great adventure. And then the storylines and the characters. And it just, it totally spoke to me. I was telling Greg uh, earlier in our intro that I knowing that you were going to be our guest, I'm like, I'm inspired to like rewatch, like at least like season one again. And I, I had my son, I'm like, do you want to watch, want to watch a show with me? He's like, is it your housewives? It's (laughs) it's actually not this time. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. But he, he actually like, he has an attention span. Like if he's not into something within the first couple of minutes, he's like, this is boring. And he goes and he gets his iPad. And he just like nestled right in, and he goes, he goes, this is actually good. This is actually pretty <laughs> wow. good. Yes, the highest and we, honor. I totally. And he really like the attention of, of judgmental young kids. Yes, is yes. The and he music like, to my ears. <laughs> he loved, and I love Glimmer as well. And he oh. loved Glimmer, and he spent oh. the rest of of the night like going, Mom, God. Like, <laughs> Oh no! Never let me do anything. Kids, how to sass your parents? Totally. (laughs) Yeah, they knew it already. I was very proud. I was like, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, it's great. It's just, it's so much fun. So, congratulations on on all of that success. Yeah. I love all the baked in D and D fantasiness of it too. Like it just it it, it uh, uh, brought so many fun things to life, even more so than uh, you know than I remember the the, the show uh, back in the eighties. So yeah, yeah. How, you've been playing D and D for for a long time, right? I actually I started playing D and D for the first time about when I was first starting on Shira. So it's only been about oh. five years for me, um, and it's I I think it's really cool because. In my head, they're very, like, woven together. Like, those are two experiences that were kind of happening at the same time. So a lot of my experiences from D&D went into She-Ra. There's, like, this episode um, in season one where they go to Entrapta's castle. And it was kind of based on, like, um, uh, a session that my now wife, um, at the time girlfriend, uh, was running for us where we all were in this kind of, like, Beauty and the Beast mansion that was crewed by robots and still, like, with her permission, like, I was really, like, inspired by that, especially because, like, my character was sort of, like, the basis for Glimmer's character. So mm. I, like, as soon oh. as I unlocked, I was a tiefling warlock. So very much, like, she sold her soul to a devil just to make her moms mad. And, like, so, <laughs> and, and I, um, as soon as I unlocked Misty's step, I was, like, I, it was a nightmare for Molly. Because I was just, like, I would, if any conceivable situation in which I could use Misty's step... I would use it. So in this session, uh, we were at this mansion. We had to like go up to the front door and I was like, door will be locked. We need another way in. Um, and so I managed to use Misty step, like a complicated, this shouldn't have worked. Molly is very kind as a DM to let me do my, uh, my complicated schemes, but I had a pseudo dragon familiar and I could see through his eyes. So he flew up to like the top level, looked in through the window. And then I was like, you can Misty step to wherever you can see. I can see inside. (gasps) 
And so I oh. misty stepped into the top level of what turned out to be a three story indoor, like, uh, what's it called? Like an arbitorium. So like, mm. Not a floor, just a drop. So I, I misty stepped inside and then fell to what in real life would have been my death. But in this game turned out to be the final boss act of the game. Uh, so I was like fighting these plant monsters. And meanwhile, my teammates just went up to the door, found it to be unlocked. Oh, welcome no. in. <laughs> there was a feast. They all got new clothes while I'm like sprinting through this like indoor forest being chased by plant monsters. Um... Yeah, so anyway, I drew a lot of inspiration from that for Glimmer's teleporting because, like, you know, like Misty Step, which you only have, like, one or two slots for, it's very limited. And you can get yourself into more trouble than you can get yourself out of sometimes. So that's, like, I don't know. I felt like the experience of D&D was so wrapped up in my conception of the characters and the world and, like, and and how we were interacting with the world. Because, like, just like when you're playing D&D, these characters are just, like, they're... They're like, they've decided what roles they're going to play and they're trying to fit those roles. But sometimes mm. they roll really badly and they don't do a great job of like fitting into those roles all the time. Just I love like that you're using life. two senses of the word role in there. You're like, yeah, well. I know. Just <laughs> yeah. keep up with it's It's wordplay. <laughs> yeah. Pay me the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I like also that you said Molly is a very kind dungeon master, but... As soon as you said that the door was unlocked the whole time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Kind she's of. just, she's long suffering because I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of player where I'm always like, I just thought of a really cool thing. Can I do this? And she's like, no. Okay, fine. I guess so. Like, it's like, there's no reason that I should have been able to like use my pseudo dragon to like make my misty step stronger, but she lets me get away with stuff. So. That's awesome. She's nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, think, I think we might have heard a version of that story from Molly when we interviewed oh my her. God. <laughs> uh, or at least about how some of her... Uh, Noel and Misty step. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we knew that it was inspiring an episode of she Yeah, I, she is she's a huge inspiration to me. And like just from the start, she's been like so influential on the shape of the show. Um, really cool to be married to a, a, a wife who has incredible storytelling instincts and is a great DM and all of those things. She's a, she's a constant inspiration. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and it's, it's not just for, for you to each other. I think you're inspiring so many people uh, with what you two are creating. We were saying before too, that like, I don't think we've ever interviewed uh, a, a, a couple uh, independently <laughs> on their independent projects about yeah. what they were doing and how it relates to D and D. And so a that's true, really, really true cool. Power couple. <laughs> Hashtag couple goals. It's yeah. fun. I like it. I like being in a power couple. <laughs> I so, want swords. What, as many what? swords as possible. Oh yeah, Greg was definitely. He was admiring the your wedding. Oh, swords. I want more swords. <laughs> I know. I want to go back in time to to my nuptials and have he's, more swords involved. He's gonna do more a swords are always needed. And surprise his wife with many, many swords. <laughs> that makes it sound like I'm going to attack. <laughs> surprise! So, what got you into like what was the impetus for playing D and D even five years ago? Just um, a curiosity. Because it was again going back to Molly. Um, she had just moved to LA, and she was uh, looking to make friends. But mostly, I was looking to date her. And ah, so she nice. started this D&D session with people that, like, she wanted to be friends with. Um, and so, and I wanted to be friends with her and also to date her. So uh, <laughs> that was really, like, how it all started. But it was, like, something that 
I was really scared at first. Like Molly grew up LARPing and I was just like, this is all so complicated. I'm bad at math. Like what, I don't know if I'll be any good at this. Um, and then I just immediately was like, this is this experience that I never even knew I wanted. This kind of like just shared, like it, it feels like when you're a little kid and you're running around the playground and you're like, you're play playing something together and you all have characters and like at some point, most of us stop being able to do that or we, or we get too self-conscious to do that. And I've always missed it. I think that working in animation, working on stories, that's my way of continuing to do that, to like share those imaginary worlds with people. Um, but D&D gave me that outlet in a way that was like, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be my job. It doesn't have to be something that I'm writing for this broad audience. It can just be the shared experience between me and a few friends. So I think immediately I was just sucked into the magic of D&D um, and, and like got so invested in it and in my character and in the world, like I was playing this like angsty tiefling warlock who just like, she just like, in some, like, she's, I think a lot, she's, like, a, a standard first D&D character, you know, that kind of, like, um, chaotic evil, just always ready to eldritch blast anything, like, you know, she's always going to blow everything up first chance she gets, and it was really, like, but then there were moments of just, like, I was, like, that's, that would be fun, like, that's what's fun to play a character who's just, like, chaotic, but ultimately, I ended up getting sucked into, like, the character dynamics as well. Um, another one of like Molly's friend, Brennan, who runs another, you know, very successful, like, uh, live streamed D and D podcast as well. Uh, he was Brennan playing, Mulligan yes, from Dimension yes. 20. Oh, awesome. I didn't realize that yeah. they were all in the same group together. Oh, yeah, fun. Awesome. In my first campaign, he was playing a lawful good sort of Tracy flick style halfling class president in our, in our, uh, <laughs> in our campaign and like he and my character just immediately were like had so much tension some of it was romantic tension our characters did end up making out at some point but um a lot of it was just like this sort of like um just uh just a matter of principles like it was like our characters did not see eye to eye and didn't see the world in the same way at all and i remember it came to a head in this one episode where you know we just like ended up on opposite sides of the conflict in this way. And we were just like in character having this, like this uh, spirited debate, I will say. And it was something where it was like, everyone was so sucked into this. Like we were our characters in that moment. And we we're just like through our characters eyes, just like, you know, trying to prove our point, trying to say what it was that like, we felt really strongly convicted. And I was getting so emotional. Like I was getting like pulled in, I was getting worked up. And it's just like, the ability to sort of like, I think for me, what it ended up being was like unpacking certain feelings through this character, like teenage feelings that I've never quite gone back to. And now it's like through this world where I'm playing this messy, angsty teen, I can like deal with those things. And it was really cool. Like it was just like to share that with friends and to be in the situation where we felt safe to do that and just like have it out in this way through our character's eyes. Like I like that's like for me, as someone who's always trying to get to the heart of whatever any character is about, like that is like pure gold. Like that's what you look for. That moment when it's just that pure outpouring of emotion from your character. And I just, I, I, it was so cool. 
Um, since then, Brendan and that I have been in other amazing. campaigns together where our characters are much better friends. So, but, uh, <laughs> that first campaign was, it was, it was very, it was very fun. It was very, uh, it was an interesting dynamic between our characters. Did you think it was like that idea of, of, uh, improvising together, uh, in ways that you felt safe and able to do? And then were you then inspired again when you were writing, uh, some of the stuff around, around She-Ra? They'd be like, oh, I can take... Like, like you said, like how that uh, uh, one of the characters was inspiration for for one part of it, but then mm-hmm. you can just feel how all of what you were just describing about that dynamic is is kind of in the DNA of the whole show to yeah. a certain extent. Well, I think that there's something. I do feel like it's in the DNA of the show, especially with like our core group of like Bo, Glimmer, and Dora. Like you've got Glimmer, yeah. who's always like, I can take him. Maybe her strength score isn't the highest, but she's got a bunch of cool spells. But, like, she always overexerts. She always pushes a little too far, ends up getting stuck places, running out of power, no spell slots left. The other two have to kind of swoop in and save her. And that's very frustrating for her. And then Adora, I feel like, is someone who, like, she has this really OP character. Stats are stacked. But I've just always felt like she rolls really badly. Like, she just, like, I, I imagine her as having a really fancy, like, D20 that's like wrought iron or something. She got it as a gift. She re- refuses to use anything else. But like, I feel like as anyone who's ever rolled with like really fancy dice knows, they never roll as well as the cheap plastic ones that cost like 50 cents. So like yeah. she, she has all of these powers and yet manages to always get in her own way and not be as powerful as she should be. And then someone like Bo, who's just like really, really like, he's very clever. Like he's very like, um, He's always, like, finding other ways around a problem or trying to figure out ways with his gadgets, with, like, different things that he's built. He's, like, a little bit of an artificer sometimes. And so, like, Mm. all of these characters' relationships and then to the roles that they're occupying where it's, like, Adora's, like, I have to be a paladin. Glamour has to be a sorcerer. Bo has to be a ranger. Like, all of these things are roles that we've decided for ourselves that don't always fit or we're not always successful at them, which is, I feel like the experience of playing D and D, you know, you get to the place where it's like, I should be able to interpret this wall because I, I can, I have comprehend languages as a spell, but I rolled really badly. So I failed at doing that. And so finding ways to like incorporate that into the story and then finding ways in a world that's not D and D to find other ways that that like makes sense for the characters and for the world how do they get in their own way? How do they like, mm. you know, see the world through the eyes of the role that they're trying to inhabit? And I feel like it's always been, I think my approach to writing characters is to sort of treat it a little bit as like what turned out to be, I think, very similar to role playing. So like you put yourself in the character, you imagine you're playing as that character. And one thing that I found, like I was playing my angsty teen tiefling and that brought out a certain side of me, all of this kind of angst. And in a lot of ways, it was uncomfortable. I was like, I feel like I'm back in high school. Like, I feel like I'm tapping into this, like, wellspring of, like, hot-headed teen emotions that I haven't really expressed in a long time, which can be fun. Like, but I don't want to be mad at my parents right I know, now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that angry in real life. And so my next yeah. campaign, I was like, I'm going to try and tap into a different part of myself. So I played, like, a middle-aged halfling who just really wants to take care of everybody and wants to be like motherly in some ways. And like, and that's also a piece of me, you know? And I think that like every character you play, even if they're very, very different from who you are, you express some aspect of yourself. And that's, I think how I've always written characters. You take every character and you're like, I felt this way before this character feels this way. And I can see the similarities between those things. So I'm going to draw on my own 
emotions, my own feelings in order to express that character as genuinely as I can. And so I felt like D&D like sort of I, I maybe illuminated that some of that for me being like, oh, this is my process. Like this is like creating a character, even one that you're a little uncomfortable with or that doesn't quite fit you all the way. And then learning how to play through them is a really like helpful tool, I think, for building characters in stories and, and making narratives around them and exploring how they see the world. So I think that it is like, you know, those two things happening at around the same time. I think it was really they're really tied together. I think they're really uh, connected. Yeah, I I like that you immediately like you you're playing D and D in a way like you know these characters where you're 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 consciously playing characters that are parts of you mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't figure that out mm-hmm. until like <laughs> like why am I always gravitating towards these types of characters yeah. and then you know there is like. I think like this psychological side where it's like, yeah, are we trying to like safely express something that we don't feel like we can do yeah. in our real life? But it, you immediately picked up on that, and then you like not yeah. only picked up on it, but you're you're consciously doing that with your characters. I think that's really interesting. Well, it's interesting. I think you know that first character. I I do find it interesting in all that she is like. Again, I think a pretty standard first D and D character for a lot of people because you assume what you want to do. I don't know do. if everybody does chaotic evil. Uh, no, you I don't know. Think that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm of my first. first yeah, but. exactly. I'm like, what? She looks like the devil. I love it. Sign me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was my second also, character. I think you expect you're like, okay, well, I want to do maybe in real life. Like, I am. I'm not able to be chaotic because of you know social norms that say, no, you have to work with the people around you. Maybe I want to express that chaotic nature by being like, and then I shoot Mm. him and I suffer no consequences. But what you immediately learn is that there are consequences and yet there's consequences for the people in your party, in the world. And immediately, like when you're playing a chaotic character and you don't want to, you know, suffer any consequences for it, especially Molly, like this is like, she is like, you did that. You have to pay the consequences for it. Even me, like being a warlock, she's like, and then your patron shows up and makes you do something you don't want to do. And I'm like, no, no, I just wanted to be a cool devil team. Please let me do that. Like, <laughs> you have to like pay the there are consequences. The and like, so I, I think that it's something that's interesting because I think that the other journey that I've been on through Shira is learning the value and how fulfilling it is to be community focused instead of being like, and I'm going to do this because I'm a rebel or blah. Like it's a little bit more of like, you start thinking of your team and what they need and what their characters need and what the NPC that you need to help, what do they need? And I was also finding that at the same time through Shira. So ever since then, the characters that I make, I feel like their characters, like right now I'm playing a bard who is like, he's like a changeling bard, but he's just this really, really sweet boy. And he just like never wants to fight anyone. He just always wants to help. He wants to like save the world with the power of music and togetherness. And he's also very, very dumb. And so, like, all of these things make him really interesting to play. But, like, whereas with my first character, she's the first into any fight. She's the first to, like, try and, like, shoot to kill. And this character, he's never struck a blow in the campaign so far. He's just Mm -hmm. always, like, I'm going to try and convince this bad guy not to fight us with the power of music. And I've always played high charisma characters. And I always roll really badly on charisma rolls. All of my characters have had some aspect of deception or shape-shifting. Every time I try and pull it off, I roll horribly and I always mm. fail at it. So this character, I use his, he's got really high charisma, but I only use it for convincing people to like be our friend. 
And I've never rolled better on my charisma rolls. Like suddenly it's like, it's it's actually working. I'll play my guitar for a giant spider that we're fighting and the spider will stop fighting. Like it is actually working. Like it's like interesting the ways that you like, I, I really feel that through the characters you choose to play, you can like, discover a little bit more about yourself as a person. Like maybe I do, maybe I don't want to be the like chaotic, like first into battle. Maybe I want to be someone who like makes people happy and brings people together. And like, that's a part of me too. So that's really awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I got like kind of a follow-up kind of idea to that because uh, one thing I'm curious about, we talked to a few animators who have come on here uh, before, but you know, maybe there's people listening who don't, really understand how the show running works for something like that. And I imagine there's a lot of, there's a big team who are all doing all of the things and you're, you know, it's all going up to, to uh, the decisions that you're making as well as, you know, other factors. But, you know, that's a, that's a huge task to be able to lay at someone's feet. And I wonder if the, the character that you were just describing, I wonder if it's a little bit like, you know what, I don't want to be the person who's got the answers and is the leader even in my play right now because <laughs> of wanting to take a break from that role. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so yeah, talk a little bit about what it's like to to lead a team of people and creating something and then how that, you know, you might want have that infect the characters that you're playing with in the near future. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's something it's like it's been a journey I've been on in general just in my life and I think that I've expressed that through D&D and through the show, but it's a shift from being kind of like because like before I was working in animation, I, I, I did everything myself. You know, I, I did comics. I drew and wrote them myself. I colored them. I lettered them. I, I didn't even wow. go through a publisher for a while. Um, it was it was all just based on, like, what I could physically do myself. Animation, in a lot of ways, has a, I use similar skill sets for it. But in so many ways, it is so different. And it's because of that community aspect. So... I, I entered the the job, this huge job of show running, convinced that, you know, like I will just, you know, I know how to stand my ground. I know how to be strong. I know how to argue for what I want. I can do this because I have faith in my own like self-drivenness, like my own ability to like, to like take hard knocks and, and, and stand my ground and all these things. And then getting into the job and realizing that that was actually not what was needed of me. It was something where it's like, oh, I am actually my job as the leader, as the boss is to be support in a weird way is to like, cause like my job is like, if you have a board artist, who's got a vision and there are various things that are getting in the way of them being able to express that vision, you have to be on the ground level and you have to be the one sort of holding the door open and, and protecting them from anything that might get in the way or or cause problems. So much of it is just empowering the people on your team to tell the story that like they need to tell. And so even when it is like, okay, here's the story we're telling. This is what I want to do. It is like pointing the way you are trying to show people a clear vision of what you're doing. But also, like, that is a little bit of a support role as well. Like, you're doing that so that they can do their job the best that they know how. If a background painter is like, okay, what do you, what color do you want this? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe green, maybe blue, maybe purple. I don't know. Figure it out. Like, that's, like, that's very difficult for that background painter. Like, they have to have yeah. the inform- all the information possible in order to do the best job that they can. And so learning how to be, like, changing my tactic from being, like, 
here I go. I'm Missy stepping in with Eldritch Blast Blazon. And instead being like, okay, what's needed for me right now is, you know, my bardic inspiration. Like, that is what I need to, like, make sure that my crew is in a place where they are as strong as possible and where they feel supported and they feel safe to express themselves. And so it's like this journey of just, like, the way that I see myself, the way that I see myself as a creator and as a creative has changed. And it's not made me any less creative. It's just, like, changed my focus, I think, because it's, like, I think that the collaborative aspect of animation is incredible. And I and I find it so fulfilling in a way that's, like, like I said, that shared imaginary world that you're all building together. I love that part. I love that, like, I get surprised by the world and by the characters because of the contributions of other people. Mm, it's one of my favorite things cool. about animation. So changing the strategy from being, like, you know, I can take them, bring it on, to being, like, all right, my job is to, like, try and uplift people and try to, like, inspire people and try to make sure we're all going in the direction we need to be going, but it's not... I don't know. It's not the like, you know, scrappy rebel that you think you'll be. It's it's something I, I think I've grown a lot through the process and it's reflected be the bard. in yeah, I think what you're exactly. To say. I think be the bard people. It, exactly. it sounds like like a dungeon master mm-hmm, when you're the way true. that you're yeah. you're describing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like giving making sure that that your team has all the information that they need to go off and be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And, but in so many ways they, even though you're kind of like setting the scenes and you know, kind of telling everyone what the rules of that moment are, it still is you're setting the stage for them to be able to express their yeah. own character and their own stories. So, like, that's kind of how it, yeah, it is more like being a DM. Um, Do you think now that uh, uh, you, I mean, have you ever DM'd before? I DM'd, I did a, a one-shot in the world of our first, uh, our first campaign. So Molly wanted to, like, take a turn as a player, and I... DM to a like a two session just kind of like mini adventure I had a lot mm. of fun with it it was very very hard it makes me very very like impressed with what Molly does all the time because she just is like she has this huge brain for lore and keeps it all straight and like it's it's yeah. not easy like I, mine was this like pirate island that the gang kind of ends up kidnapped and they have to find their way through it um, and I was trying to keep all the information straight and I had written down the pirate stats um, but I, for some reason had like dropped a numeral when I, when I wrote their, how many hit points they had. So I gave Uh-oh. them like nine or 10 hit points. So and our characters were like level six or so by then. So dealt, dealing a good amount of devil, uh, damage. And so they would like hit these pirates and just obliterate them in one hit because I didn't give them enough <laughs> hit points. So it's just like, they would hit these pirates and they just explode. And it was like, I realized at some point that I've made a mistake. But honestly, at that point, I'm just like, okay, I'll just throw more and more pirates at you. And you'll just be like, just hacking your way through them like they're fallen leaves. Um, it's very difficult, but it was a lot of fun. Now you got time to maybe yeah, start up another campaign, cool. though. We've actually been yeah. doing, um, it's really cool because I wanted to do something that involved uh, the the medium of Zoom. So sort of like the the kind of creepiness I think that can come sometime of being like that kind of digital glitchiness that sometimes like really freaks you out when you're, when you're mm. connecting with people over digital mediums. So I did a, um, a tin candles game actually, <laughs> which is like, Ooh, uh, tin yeah, which is a lot more free form. Um, not quite as much preparation. It's a lot more collaborative between everybody, but it was really cool. We just had everyone like candles on their side and like dim the lights. And then it was just, I did the story about like, 
all of us being um, contestants on a game show. And then uh, the world kind of ends outside this Big Brother house while we're inside and we have to venture out into the world and figure out what happened. And the Creepy. the villain is sort yeah. of like on this app, on this like phone uh, social media service that has been sort of like sucking people into it. And so the world is just like empty in this way. And it's like, um, so it was this really cool. Like I managed to scare myself so much that night that it's like, I like, I couldn't sleep that night because I got so pulled into it. But it like utilized the creepiness of this sort of impersonal connection to like create something that was way more real and way more like, I, it was really cool. I recommend it. I think if anyone wants to do uh, like an RPG that's like a little more low preparation and it feels like it kind of like, uses the tools that we have at our disposal to its best advantage. Like I would recommend doing a little tin candle session because it's very fun. That's really neat. I like the idea of uh, rather trying to shoot, like put a, you know, square peg in a round hole yeah. of like, we're going to play this way now. Like use the, use the medium in an interesting way. I don't yeah. think uh, I've considered yeah. that, but that's, that's really smart. Yeah. It's really cool because it's like, you know, we had everyone kind of dim the lights on their side and just use candles. And so you're not really even seeing them. They're just kind of blurs of pixels in the dark. Voices. And then there's something where it's like someone on someone's side, a cat will run by or something will fall over. And all of us are just like, what's happening? You know, like there's a oh part, my God. Jump there's a part of the world that you're sharing that you don't have access to. Like you don't know, you, you only know what's in your room. And like, it's, it's, it honestly really adds to the creepiness. Like, I think that it's like, I think it's better than playing in person, honestly. Like, D&D, I love the in-person aspect, but like, Ten Candles, I think like, I, that's why I just, I think it's like perfect for the, for the, um, the medium of Zoom. Yeah, that yeah. sounds fun. And it, I'm almost, I mean, I feel like can, that this whole storyline you're talking about maybe could be like your next project. Yeah, maybe. It sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Going into horror. I like that. I don't know. I kind of love oh, it. It was very fun. Um, so I want to, I mean, this is, I, I, I love the idea of writing uh, episodic television like you were able to do for these five seasons. And one thing that's fascinating to me is like how, how much were you improvising and changing as you were writing it versus, uh, you know, having like, there's Dungeon Masters who have the entire campaign written out and know exactly what the end is going to be. And there's ones that, hey, this is our starting point. Who knows where we're going to end up? And I, I wondered which, you know, yeah. where where was your head at for for where the show went? I tried really hard to make sure that, like, I, I don't know how much of this was inspired by, like, um, D&D. But, I, I mean, I am inspired by the way that Molly DMs and the way she runs our campaigns because she does really let us if there's two tunnels and we go down the wrong one and she made a really cool setting over here, she's not going to be like, she's not going to force us to go to the same, like she's going to let us do what we think we need to do. And so I tried to be that kind of showrunner as well. I didn't want to just railroad things that I was mm. passionate about, although there were aspects that I was very passionate about. And I was like, I, it's really important to me that I want this to be where we end up, what the relationship is, like what, you know, how the beats fall. There were certain things that I think we all stayed really true to. But I even when it came to the relationships, like I didn't want to just railroad it if it wasn't working, you know? And so I used the team a lot as a sounding board or just to be like, how is this working? How How is this evolving? What are you contributing to it that makes it work even better than I maybe imagined it working? And so I think that like, it was sort of, um, it really depends on the situation. Like I said, I think sometimes the best thing you can do um, as a leader is to give people kind of a clear, the clearest vision possible. 
And that means you have to kind of commit to things, even if you're not totally sure. So if it's like, well, what color should this background be? And you really don't know. The second you say purple, you mean purple and you mean purple forever. If someone (laughs) asks you, why is it purple? You defend it. And you say like, well, it needs to be purple because of this. And that's like you taking that on and making sure that like the background painter isn't the person who has to like do that. That's kind of like, again, what I mean by like being both a leader, but also support in a lot of ways. Um, But I think that my favorite parts were the moments when the crew really pulled something out that I didn't expect. And that happened a Mm. lot, honestly, because the crew was very passionate. They really were like invested personally and they added lots of themselves into it. So there were moments like, um, I, I think that like I had an open door policy that like anyone, even if they weren't related to the story side of the show, could come and pitch their ideas to me which I thought were really cool. cool. We actually used them a lot. I remember we had a, um, he was a visual development intern back in like season one. And we did sort of individual pitches, me and Josie, the uh, story editor, we did pitches to to the crew every time, just at various intervals to tell them what the story was, that we were thinking where we were going with it and give them a chance to ask questions or even pitch their own ideas. And so he actually like pitched an idea of like he was really interested in Madame Raz and the way that like her experience of time was nonlinear. And so he mm. pitched us in just like really simple words. He was like, what if there was a memento episode with Madame Raz? And I was oh, like, neat. oh, that's cool. And so we like wrote that down. And then like three seasons later, ended up yeah. using it as uh, the episode hero in season four, where she's like working through all these scrambled memories of both the past and the present and the future all at once. And so it's like, again, like, I I think that there are moments, those are my favorite moments, I think, when someone just really kind of brings something that you didn't expect. Um, The other story that I like to tell is, like, uh, we talked a lot, as a writing team especially, about whether or not Micah was alive. And there were times when we were like, maybe he's alive and he'll come back. And then at a certain point, I was like, I don't think he can come back. I think there's too many elements. I think that we need to table the, like, Micah is alive thing. And, you know, I just don't think it's going to work. And there was like a line in, it was one of Josie's scripts. So it was like the finale of season three. And she had written this line where like they, they're interacting with this dreamlike version of Micah in this fantasy perfect world. And right before the whole world falls apart and he disappears, presumably as just part of that illusion, he has a line that's just like, wait, I'm not. And then in the script, that's all there was. Uh, and I just, I didn't think too hard about it. We went to the record and then Shane Lynch, who was our script coordinator, but was also kind of like, a lot of times like my right hand woman, she was always by my side at the record and like, you know, would give me feedback and and her thoughts on things. And when we were getting that line from Daniel Day Kim, the actor, she reaches over and she's like, presses the button for the mic. And she's like, I think you should do the full line just so that we get like the, actually, I don't know if she pushed the mic. That'd be, I don't know. But, um, she was like, (laughs) but she was like, you should do the full line. And the full line is I'm not dead. And I was like, wait, what? And then like, he does that version of the line and it's the best, it's the best take. And so that's the moment where I'm like, all right, I guess Mike is alive. What the hell? Here we go. Like it's these moments of like, um, you know, like trusting your crew to bring something to the table that is like, that you maybe didn't expect, but that like really does add something. And so it's just like the moments when like, it was just I, I really, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. it was just kind of letting people run with it and 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 add to it in their own way while still trying to be, you know, you know, make sure that the parameters are set. And more than anything, make sure that the 
I think as long as you know what the core of the story is, you know what the heart of it is, what themes are you're trying to keep consistent. So it's like, no matter what happens, everything always comes back to this one thing. And you're all moving towards one point together. So like, you have to be the compass for that. But also like, I think that there is room for these little happy accidents to happen, for these evolutions that you didn't expect, as long as it all ties back into that same core. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, it's something that I think happens even when you're doing an individual project. Like on Nimona, my first graphic novel, there would be moments where I would change the plan at the last minute. And like, you know, I would be the night before about to post a webcomic page and I would completely change the dialogues. Like something different would happen than I thought. And then I'd post it and I'd be like, well, that's that's it. I'm committed to it now. And I think that that's what, like, makes stories feel spontaneous and fun and, like, surprising and, like, yeah. like not, like, I, I don't know. I, I just really enjoy working with that little element of chaos while still trying to guide it's like it. Rolling exactly. The die. Yeah. It's like having, like, that moment of chance yes. where you don't know if it's going to work or not. And it doesn't matter because you just take what the yeah. what the, the role gives you. Whatever it lands on, you might have wished I for. I rolled a one, oh, by the way. Oh, oh my no. God. Sorry. Oh so my we're dead. God. Sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, that out. means I have to go. You failed at this. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. But, yeah, no, I mean, you might have hoped for another number. You might have had a really cool idea if you rolled a 20. And then you get a 1. <laughs> you're like, well, I'm committed now. It's re- and But that's yeah. a story, too. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. failures create great yeah. stories. Absolutely. Yeah. And but, it's like, so you're – oh, sorry. Continue. No, go. Well, <laughs> I'm just – I'm curious. I mean – you have, there's obviously a very passionate community um, surrounding Shira and very vocal and everybody, you know, had their their vision for how they, they wanted the series or, or, you know, the relationships between characters, particularly Adora and, and Katra. Did you, I won't spoil anything if, if people mm. haven't finished the series, but... Oh, sorry. I've How much spit out a bunch of spoilers. Con- so sorry. <laughs> Go watch I mean, the they're they're everywhere, but they're <laughs> everywhere. But um, how much uh, does like seeing what the community is responding to and what the community is asking for factors into the development of the show, if any? It's interesting for us because um, so cartoons that go through a streaming service are different than. The the amount of time needed to from the start of production to oh, when it true. actually You're airs is way bigger than it is for traditional broadcast television. So if you're working on a show on a on a you know a traditional network, you can be editing and and ADRing and and doing retakes right up until I think like a couple days before it hits the air. On Shira, we, everything is done six months before it airs, at least. So, and that's wow. for a lot of reasons. And it's like, all the episodes. Um, we deliver them or reduced, season. by still- seasons, but but yeah, like it is. Yeah. Um, uh, it it's something where it's like the amount of time of us conceiving the idea to when people get to see it. I would say, in the quickest sense, it's at least a year and a half, if not a little bit more. So, like, we were writing oh, yeah. season wow. five in, like, October, November, December of... Actually, it might have even been a little early. Our, our writers rolled off before season one even aired. Um, and so we have been, like, living... Like, it was us trying to predict what people were going to respond to and then 
like using each other as sounding boards and then just like hoping to God that it worked because there's really no time. If we're like, this is our favorite character. And then everyone is like, we hate that character. Then like, sorry, you're stuck with it. You can't go back and we like, wrote four seasons oh, yeah. of it. Story. Yeah. But I, I do think yeah. that like, it was really important to me to be sort of like connected to the people who are actually going to be watching it because it doesn't really matter what goes on behind the scenes what the final product is, is the way that people respond to it. So however they actually engage with the, with the product, that's what it really is. Like no matter what we thought it was going to be. So when it came to Adora and Catra, it's actually really interesting because I had made a gamble that they were going to be like, that this was going to be a, a ship, a pairing, a relationship that people were, would be invested in. But we didn't have, like, much feedback at the time to really tell us if that was true or not. So it was Mm. kind of, like, something that was, like... And it's a blessing and a curse, I think, because you do want to sort of, like... I I think right now we live in a really interesting landscape where fans have almost, like, complete access to us at all times. And, like, there are a lot of people who can just tweet their ideas, good or bad, or, like, their thoughts, or, or, you know, harass creators even sometimes. Um, And... It's interesting because you have to kind of draw lines for that. A lot of times it is really positive for me. I really enjoy interacting with fans online. But it is something where it's like you have to keep a little bit of a purity of vision. You can't just – people don't always want the thing that they say they want. And you have to kind of show them the thing that they do want. Or you have to be the one to be like, you thought you wanted this. You really want this. Hope that worked. Yeah. Um, And so it is a little bit of a blessing. I I think that if I had – had access to all of that kind of like uh, that that buzz and and the conversations around it and people's expectations because as soon as people have those expectations you're like well by doing that am I just sort of giving into the expectations by not doing it am I like specifically trying to like you know subvert them and, and making people mad in the process like it, it's weird what it, it you do you are all very aware of just like what people are saying about it um, and the ability to mm. do that in a little bit more of a bubble before anyone has access to it is I I think for us, I think I'm glad that we got that. Um, And then I'm also glad to, you know, have been able to get the feedback that we have gotten. And I think it has affected the show in ways. I mean, I think that people did latch on to Katra and Adora in that first season. And like, I, I feel really lucky and I feel really glad that they, you know, saw what we were trying to do and went with it and followed it and like are so passionate about it. And like, that's something that like, it was a gamble. It was a bet. It was a hope that they would love it as much as we did. Um, and the response to season five has like blown me away. So I'm just really, really glad to have, you know, this positive relationship with, I think the, the viewers with the fandom, um, and, and, you know, cause it really is like, that's, we are, that's who we're making it for, you know? We yeah. want to give them the thing that maybe they didn't know they wanted and and then, like, show a new way that that could be done, a way that, like, is unexpected and new in its own way, even if it is kind of, like, uh, something that is, like, um, really satisfying and fulfilling at the same time. And it feels like it was always supposed to happen. It was something that's, like, it's inevitable. Like, all threads lead to this one conclusion. Well, I will say, you know, my my girls really. Uh, I have two two daughters, uh, you know, uh, eight and six, no, nine and and six now. Um, but my oldest, uh, uh, nine, she had. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was, you know, a similar relationship, but she definitely has had folks uh, and friends of hers in her school that um, 
had this kind of, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. That relationship really spoke to her. Mm-hmm. And it really was like, oh, wait, they're friends, but they're now enemies, and but they're still friends. Yeah. And how they navigate that, it's very, I don't know, I'm almost getting emotional just thinking about it too because it feels like growing up. Yeah. It feels like, um, you know, taking relationships that have uh, kind of an immaturity to them and then applying maturity to them. And it, I just want to say thank you because it really helped uh, her through some some hard times. Yeah. Oh, that's now really I'm going to be emotional. Lot. That's really sweet. Yeah. That's really I, sweet. I mean, it's what like it's what we set out to do. You know, I, I think that like especially when it comes to friendship and um, and the relationships that we have when we're very young. Um, it is something that's like I, I don't see it a lot, even in media that is about friendship and that's about you know, how friendship is the most important thing, which I agree with. But I've never seen a story like this in children's media that is like, what happens when you lose a friend? What happens when you lose someone who was the most important to you in the entire world? And then as the show goes on and matures, it's like, what what happens when you don't even know how to define your relationship to that person? Like when it turns out that what you thought was friendship is a little bit more than that. Like it's like all of those stories are things that like would have made a world of difference to me when I was that age. Like the first time I, I lost a friend, it was like, I still think that it has hurt more than any breakup I've ever had. It feels like a breakup. It is a breakup. It's yeah, like it you're losing someone yeah. who is a part of you. Um, and like that, it was something I, I needed to show and get into. And when I went back and, and watched that first episode again, like knowing what I know now, but it's pretty amazing and maybe I was just reading more into it, but I don't think so. Like how much of the complexities of their their relationship you showed in a really short amount of time. Yeah. Like every time that those that they are together, you can like there's so many just every interaction they have yeah. is rife with complications. And it's it's just fascinating. I mean it's like I I just wa- love watching it from just a storytelling point of view. I'm like, that's yeah. pretty brilliant. I think every aspect of it, it was just like the concept was always, this is one thing I think we did see really true to is that the concept was always the break, like the breaking apart, the realizing that certain things are not sustainable. And then like the long and, and rocky road to coming back together. And I think that that's a part of growing up as well. Like there are like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that there are aspects and like, I, relate to both characters a lot, but I I think that there's something about the way that they're so, they were everything to each other at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. But like, I think at least when it came to Katra, she was like, she, her identity was wrapped up in how focused she was on Adora. And that's not sustainable, but that's also something that as a young person, you go through a lot. And the moment when you realize, oh no, I love this person more than they love me. That is something that like, can cause you to crack and splinter and just like become self-destructive or, or destructive towards other people. Like it is something that's just like the fear of not getting back what you're putting in the fear of not being someone's number one priority when you have so much love to give. That's like, that has like soured. And like, that was like something that like, I just, I haven't seen that story. I needed to see that story because of course that's not, the end like you have to like yeah. you have to grow up you have to get to the point where you are like okay like well one i think that it's okay to expect that you can find someone who gives back the same amount of love that you put in i think that that's also an important message but also to know what that looks like and that like just because someone 
has other friends, just because someone has other priorities, just because they have their own life, those things are not at odds. You can still love each other as much as you possibly can and put everything in. And like seeing Katra's journey to learning how to do that, to learning how to have her own friends and her own life and like her own world, while still being able to put as much love as she possibly can into this relationship that matters to her and teaching Adora in a weird way to like that she doesn't always have to like give everything to everyone. She can focus on, you know, one or two or three people who she really loves and, and, and like nurture those relationships specifically. And it's like, I think all of those are stories of growing up. It's like the moment when you just realize that like the way your heart before it was broken for the first time, the way it worked was not like, it has to be broken. It has to be broken before you learn how to like have a stronger heart. And like that journey is something that's like, especially between the ages of like, you know, like 17 to like your early twenties, like that's, I think when it really happens. And so like, I, but like, I think that it's also relatable to much younger people as well. And it's like, well, that's what I love about what you did is because you, you're, you're talking about these things that are usually reserved for that, that age period that you're talking about, but you're getting the the bones of, you know, obviously there's adventures and there's all this other stuff that's going to make them really excited about watching this, this, this media, but you know, you're, it's teachable, it's teachable. And I think that is really cool that you were able to take something that is not dramatized for, for a younger audience and show, you know, the unhealthy parts of yeah. it as well as the healthy parts and how to grow and, 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 uh, you know, be aspirational yeah. uh, for those characters. I really, yeah. I really do and think that kids get that too. I think they understand a lot more than like we always give them credit for. So yeah, that's, well, that was my hope. Yeah. Anyway. They're just showing relationships aren't perfect. Like that's yeah. just like mm-hmm. no friendship is perfect. No romantic relationship is perfect. You have to work at Sometimes things. you can have dreams about, you know, divorcing your, <laughs> your significant other and I have, I had explain a dream it to your kids. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And that's all right. I mean, I, I think that's really really important right yeah. and, and you're doing it and so thank you and thank you again for having such a great you know uh we've said it a couple of times but like the dna of, of dungeons and dragons being like throughout this entire uh project even so much as putting dungeons and dragons play in dramatized in the in the series uh you know was really awesome yeah thank you i, I mean both of them i think are just like they've been the backdrop for the growth that i've gone through as an adult and like um and just have like changed the way that I think about stories and, and it's, it's evolved that relationship. So I think they're tied together in a way that, uh, in my head, you can't really extract them. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me ramble about my, my D and D characters. It's one of my favorite things <laughs> I love to do. It. <laughs> fascinating yes yeah and if anybody hasn't after the end of this interview have not watched all of shiva go to netflix right now it'll be there for for a long time yes (laughs) sorry about the spoilers but also uh oh there's so much more about (laughs) yeah it's hard to talk about media without spoiling so don't worry Uh, there's lesbians okay go watch (laughs) 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 that's all that's all the information you need catch up Well, again, thank you so much uh, for all your work on this. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you know, if people want to, you know, follow you or get to know what what your next project is going to be, what's the what's the best way that they can do that? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ginger Hazing. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well, although I don't use it quite as much under the same name. Uh, yeah, and as soon as I can announce what my next project is, uh, you'll be the first to know if you're on if you're on Twitter with me. 
next All week. All right. I, I cannot wait. wait, personally. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you both so much. This was really fun. Thank you. That's thank been you. great. Bye, Noel. Bye. Bye. I love talking to people who have made amazing projects uh, and, 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 and the creativity and, and all the energy they put into making those things. Uh, I loved it. I love it. I love it, too. Me, it's kind of amazing. Makes me feel inspired. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I want it to be is. more creative. I will be more creative. I declare to be more <laughs> creative. Uh, I thanks shall. to all of the inspirations of She-Ra, Princess of Power. And the power of She-Ra. It's yes. so fun. Uh, cool. Well, uh, that's some good aspirations, and I hope a lot of people listening have those exact same aspirations now, having listened uh, to all of the power creativity coming from that couple. Right? Absolutely. Fun stuff. Yes. We are here. If you haven't watched, you can do that. Do it. You got five seasons to watch if you haven't already done it. What a cool thing to to look forward to in uh, this uh, day and age when you might have a little extra time at home. Just saying. It's the time. Netflix is right there waiting for you to do so (laughs) all the time. It's always there for you. I'll be there for you. Uh, all right, so um, we are here at Dungeons & Dragons, very excited about uh, D&D Live and all of the proceeds from that going to Red Nose Day. Uh, so please go to DungeonsAndDragons.com, pay attention to all of the fun folks who will be playing D&D games, and then be there on June 18th uh, at 10 a.m. Pacific time when we will begin the programming and unveil the new D&D adventure and where it will all take place. That's really exciting. Yep. I can't wait. There's even more fun uh, uh, products, game pieces, games, accessories, all types of things that we're going to be announcing as part of D&D Live. Uh, And so uh, not only will you find out about that adventure, you'll find out about all those fun things uh, in addition to watching some really entertaining people play. Uh, And then you'll also be able to play D&D during D&D Live uh, by signing up for uh, a slot to play in one of four introductory adventures uh, through D&D Adventurers League uh, that gets you in the swing of things for the new adventure. Uh, They're they're hour-long uh, bite-sized adventures you can play any number of them actually you can play one you know there's no limit to what you can sign up for and do uh, and we have lots of great dungeon masters on tap to jump in and help play all that stuff uh, including as I saw uh, I think uh, Alpha Stream Teos uh, Abadia uh, who we've had on the podcast before is going to be one of them uh, and there's going to be lots of more <gasps> oh, folks uh, awesome. being dungeon masters as well uh, so you can sign up for those using whatever platform that you think is best whether it's just uh, straight up theater of the mind style using just a webcam or Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds um, uh, there will be tons of ways for you to sign up and play and uh, there's even going to be some fun other unique experiences which we'll be uh, talking about leading up to the event in June uh, that involves some reality television. I dream come true. It's a dream come true. Yes. Yes. Uh, We're calling that reality RP, uh, and it will be essentially some folks you may recognize playing as characters uh, from the new adventure that will uh, have a secret. And it'll be up to you, the fans at home, to try to figure out who to support uh, going forward. So it's uh, 
lot more details uh, about that, but it is going to be this really unique uh, experience that's going to be played through social media uh, using uh, tons of the game parts of reality television. So things like The Circle or if you've ever played the party game uh, Werewolf or um, Mafia type thing where you're trying to deduce who is telling the truth and who isn't. Uh, that will be a big part of of that game, and uh, you will be uh, making the decision, those of you watching at home. So really fun stuff. Uh, all going that weekend, June 18th, 19th, 20th, uh, for D&D Live 2020. Roll with advantage. I love it. So yeah. will anyone that was ever on The Bachelor going to be part of this reality RP? I think perhaps people who have watched The Bachelor will be participating in it. Does that count? Close enough. I'll take it. All right. Done and done. Uh, so yeah, we'll be announcing all the folks who will be uh, participating in that in the weeks to come. And I can't wait. I can't wait for you guys to jump into that. Super fun and interesting and exciting and unique and a risk. And I hope it works, but we'll see. It will. You did a great job. And you basically we planned like- two, two D&D Live because when you first started thinking about this, you had no idea you would have to pivot in the middle <laughs> and change the whole right. thing. So, yeah, going from great. a physical event to a uh, online event is tough, but we're we're trying, and we hope uh, you get to explore and enjoy just as much as you would love to explore and enjoy uh, a physical space that was all yep. done up. Well, with, now uh, it, you might not have been able to do to attend the physical event, but you can yeah. come to this one. So that's a really good point. People all positive. over the world uh, will be able to uh, participate and uh, be a part of of the community, and that's a that's a big. Uh, a pillar of of what this event and what D and D is about as a whole. So we'll make that all happen. Hopefully, cool. Can't wait. Sign up for that. Uh, uh, DungeonsandDragons dot Of course, help support Red Nose Day through uh, purchasing T shirts and other apparel. Wearing this awesome graphic with a snowy owl bear wearing a red nose. Uh, it was Red Nose Day on May 21st, but we are still continuing to support that charity uh, through this promotion, and we're excited about it. So uh, there's an adventure I mentioned earlier, uh, Return to the Glory. Uh, you can download that on DMs Guild right now, and all those proceeds uh, will go to Red Nose Day for D&D Live. Well done. We like it. We like it a lot. We do. Shelly, how can people uh, reach out to you and ask you tons of questions about uh, your experiences in Dungeon Mastering? Great. That'll be a short conversation. Um, But you could reach out to me and give me encouragement and tips on how to get started as a Dungeon Master. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Shelly Moo. How about there? All right. What about you, Greg? I am at Greg Tito on the Twitters and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Uh, But I've mentioned going to uh, DungeonsDragons.com to find out more about that. But if you want to follow on social, it's Wizards underscore DND. Uh, We're also on Instagram. A lot of our stuff will be on Instagram for DND Live. So you might want to give that account a follow if you haven't already. And find out more stuff on Dragon Plus, the amazing free app you can download on your Android and iOS device as well as access that content on the web at dragonmag.com uh, there's there's information abound in that application so much right at your fingertips literally it's at your fingertips yes I feel like that's the they might be giants reference fingertips 
Uh, all right, so uh, in our call out here, Drunky has uh, trying to pull off the fake Daryl's mask. You rolled an 18 sleight of hand, and you tried to grab uh, two paws full of fur. Mm-hmm. Try to rip it off, uh, but you hear a deep growl instead. Uh, and uh, Drunky yelled, "What did you yell? Where is my brother? <laughs> and, Where's Daryl?" Uh, he said. He's dead in a uh, in a very raspy, terrifying voice. Uh, and then, what did you do, Junkie? What do you do next? I th- I think I slapped him. But what I want to yeah. do is like, can I like pull out what am what is this this version of Drunky? Did we determine Drunky was a sorcerer or a ranger? I think ranger. Okay. Maybe I have like a short sword or something. Can I pull it out and like hold it to this character's neck? And I say, yes. what do you want? What do you want? Okay. Uh, I will. Oh, you rolled really high in intimidation. So uh, this character says, uh, we want to find the other half of the amulet that drunk he had. Yes. That's what it says in a, in a raspy voice. I don't have an amulet. You got mm-hmm. the wrong cat. Well, we'll pick this up next time on Dragon Talk. Son of a biscuit. I wonder if he's <laughs> dead. <laughs> he can't be really dead. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We'll be back next week, and hopefully Shelly will be able to figure out what's happening with Daryl. This is terrible. Okay.